Welcome to Off the Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name is DJ Seals. I'm a former detective, crime analyst, and SWAT operator from the metro Atlanta area. Now, I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but this podcast will never be about product or sales, and that I promise you. I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation about current police issues without you, my listener, feeling like they were in a sales pitch. If I wouldn't listen to that, then I'm quite sure you wouldn't either. Before we get started today, I wanted to thank my listeners. You know, I don't market this. Um, I I share it on my LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, So we started pretty slow. Uh, this is the, uh, 17th, I think it is podcast that I'm doing here. And I was looking at the stats the other day, which I don't typically do. Uh, but I was curious about the last two that I recorded and sent out and wow, those last two, you guys really liked those apparently, (laughs) but thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for expanding, um, the, the listenership, um, you know, don't advertise, don't make anything off of this because I don't want it tainted that way. And you, the listeners, have just grown and grown and grown this. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. If you're new, uh, go back, listen to a few others, uh, and, and then maybe come back to this one because today's uh, is all about clarity. Clarity by what? Well, you know, I've spoken about big data in the past. And and you know I don't like the term big data used in policing. You see this all the time. Oh, we've look at this. We've got big data. The big data revolution. Um, unless you're writing that article about the big data revolution that started uh, in like the 80s, then you're behind by only 40 years. Big data is not new in law enforcement. Ever since we've had uh, reporting systems, I mean, I guess I could go back to paper. That was still big data, just in boxes in the basement, right? But uh, ever since we went into CAD and RMS reporting systems, CAD, by the way, computer-aided dispatch, RMS, records management systems, computer systems where we store reporting and calls and data and narratives and police reports, things like that. Ever since that began, we began compiling big data. Because look at the call volume on agencies that we've spoken about before. As, as a reminder, don't forget, I mean, there are almost 18,000 police agencies in the United States, accounting for almost 700,000 police officers. Now, I, I, I know I mentioned that in the last, but this is going to come up again. And I was, you know, looking around, uh, watching some feeds, things like that. And I kept seeing these articles now on... Oh, the police, they're gathering all of our data. And, and I thought, okay, well, let me, let me read this. You know, what, what are we talking about here? What, what's, what's the concern? I've told you, I'm going to read and listen to every side. Every side. And so I, I was reading this particular article. By the way, you can't see my air quotes. Uh, I was reading this article, and it seemed very... I don't know. It, it, it just... 
enticing, if you will, right? Just, oh, oh, they, oh, this and that and corruption and, oh, my goodness, and big words, big fancy words and big, big words that would, would lend you to be excited and, oh, my goodness, they're doing that and, oh, no. And, but then I realized that there was just this complete lack of fact. Now, granted, it was a short article. You can't get all the facts in the short article. But like a complete lack of, of fact. It was conjecture. Uh, and I read conjecture. I like opinions. But this was definitely opinion. I thought, oh, okay, this is somebody's opinion. And then at the end, it, I realized I had just read an advertisement for a book. An upcoming book. Oh, so I got it. So marketing for the publisher got hold of this. It basically fancied this up to get people riled up to to be you know excited to buy this book. Okay, I got that. Hey, that's what marketing does. That's the point. They want to get people excited about something. I got it. So I'm reading other articles and and oh the police are doing this and the police are doing that and why are they compiling this data and why are they and I thought okay, look. I can't find any fact points in these articles just questions like why are they and why are they and why are they how about asking so i decided to answer all their questions in today's podcast well as many as i can in the allotted time that i think you guys will listen so today's podcast is entitled big data what's the big deal so to understand this we have to go back to why are the police collecting data? And even the term, the police are collecting data, sounds like a headline, doesn't it? Sounds like a newspaper headline. Extra, extra, read all about it. Police collecting data. Okay. Before I get into the facts of this, just let's flip this over. Any citizens who are listening to me that are not police, welcome. You're always welcome. Thank you. Would you rather us not write a report on your burglary? Would, would you rather us not do the accident report that you could send to your insurance to hopefully get money back <laughs> you know, to get your car repaired? I mean, if you'd rather not us do that, then that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can go to your legislature and say, hey, you know what? That, um, that robbery report where I got robbed, just can you not write that report because I don't want my data collected? I know that sounds crazy, but that's the data we're collecting. You say, well, you're collecting intelligence data on people. Yeah, quite so many times. Sure. If, if we arrest a, a major drug dealer and they give us information on perhaps, or a minor drug dealer, either way, and they give us information on perhaps the rest of the network. Hey, by the way, Bob's also doing it and, and Tom over here and and this guy over here, and this guy. Yeah, are we going to record that, write that down, maybe look into that? Yeah, I think we should. Okay? If this is the intelligence data you're looking for, then yeah. And then, you know, some articles go with it's data on, on you know, private citizens who, who are non-criminal. I'll admit that's true. Because it's those citizens who call the police for, for help, who sometimes have car accidents, who uh, sometimes just have a question uh, about, uh, you know, you know, when my 
tag on my trailer expires. I don't know. I mean, we just get all these questions, and we do make copious notes about every interaction we have with citizens. And somehow that's bad? So we're going to get into it in a minute as to why that is. But let me also throw you into this. When we're working investigation, former detective talking here, we're working investigation, I would rather not just work on what I've found in like the last 30 seconds. And I think you, as a citizen, victim citizen, non-victim citizen, concerned citizen, would want me to have the information I need to find the bad person, right? And many times that is, let me do a historical check on this suspect that this citizen told me they think might be the person. Okay, yes, okay, looks like they've been arrested for, oh, look at that, been arrested for burglary in the past. And they happen to live a couple of blocks away, driving a white van that the suspects say, my goodness, I'm putting this together. See, without that data, without that information, it would be extremely difficult, if not darn near impossible, to do any type of policing investigation. Now, I'll be clear to say, can there be misuses of data? Of course there can. Have I seen some of those in my time? Of course I have. Have those officers been dealt with immediately? You bet. You bet. Because this information is law enforcement sensitive. It actually says that on the documents, law enforcement sensitive. In other words, law enforcement eyes only. Kind of James Bond, right? Uh, it, however, not like gets, it doesn't explode after 30 seconds. But nonetheless, it is law enforcement sensitive, and we treat that as such. Our standard operating procedures say law enforcement sensitive data can only be seen by those who have the blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on to lay down the rules, if you will. Much of the data, which again surprises me against this argument, is available for open records request. Literally. Like I I was speaking to a friend of mine, citizen around here, and they're like, oh, I just wish I could get this report. I I mean, I wasn't part of it, but I think I might have to. I said, well, just go up and do an open records request. Do what? Do a request for it. Do you have the case number? Do you have, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just go up there and get it. I mean, you got to do the paperwork so that we can say on this date we filed an open open records request was filed and blah, blah. I mean, there are procedures to get this done, but it's, it's open. For the most part. Now, if you ask going on an active homicide investigation or you, you want the you, you're a creep and you want the name of a you know child victim, that's not gonna happen, right? Laws prevent that to to protect either the ongoing case and all all people around the case, right? Or the the, the innocent, the, the the child, things like that. But nonetheless, for the most part it's Wide open. As a matter of fact, in this podcast, I'm going to give you, Rarity, I'm going to give you a web address that you can go and pull data from your very own police department, from your very own lounge chair. So what I'm getting at is, yeah, sure, we compile data. Yeah, sure, many times it's used for intelligence. But but the vast majority of it is not a secret. We've never been quiet that we hold this data. We've never been quiet for why. So 
it's all kind of confused me as to why this has started to come back up. So again, for those of you who may be listening that actually write those articles, I would like to add to your article some facts. I thought for a minute to get a little snarky and like read the definition of fact, but again, I'm not going to get into that. But let's just look at facts. Why in the world do we collect this data? Well, let's step in the Wayback Machine and go back to 1930. And by the way, this information I'm about to read you is a little bit of a history lesson. It's straight out from the United States Department of Justice FBI website. You can Google it too. 1930, FBI administered the UCR program, Uniform Crime Report, with the assistance of the IACP, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and the National Sheriff's Association. Okay? The purpose was to assess and monitor the nature and crime type in the nation. In other words, before 1930, who knew what was going on, right? Do we need help? Do we need federal assistance? Do we need more, uh, more cops here, more cops there? Do we have a rotten administration that needs to be dealt with? Yeah, that was part of it. So they created this. The program's objective was generate reliable information for use in law enforcement administration, operation, and management. Okay? Um, However, as an added bonus, the data over the years has become one of the country's leading social indicators. Criminologists, sociologists, professors of all type, legislators, municipal planners, the media, and, you know, general students of criminal justice and citizens have used this for research and planning. In other words, it's open for consumption. I mean, you can just get it? Hmm, doesn't seem anything secret about that. So, recognizing a need for national crime statistics, like how are we doing? Like, where would you like to be able to research where it's, you know, a safe city to live? You know, things like that. Um, the ICP formed this committee on uniform crime uh, report. After studying uh, state criminal codes, they realized, guess what? These don't match <laughs> at all. Like, like, we should probably have some way to speak uh, about crimes in a holistic nature. Because I don't even know what that is. And, and what are you doing over here? And, and okay, you can have your own individuals, but can we kind of call a burglary a burglary? Can, can that kind of be the same thing? I mean, it was a way to bring law enforcement together. Okay, stop. Why are we doing this? Because we have a nationwide system that watches everyone. No. Look at law enforcement, okay, as any other organization. W- would you like to actually be able to work together? with standards and procedures and training and education and investigation. Yeah, of course you would. So that's what this was. So the plan included standardized offense definitions, like I just said, right? And they were called part one crimes. We're not going to get into part two today. This is not a lesson on UCR, but they were called part one crimes. Okay. And they included such ready violent crimes of murder, non-negligent homicide, rape, robbery, aggravated assault, property crimes, burglary, larceny theft, that's one, and motor vehicle theft, okay? And then arson was added later in 1979. If you were counting at home, kids, that's 10 crime categories. So that means agencies around the U.S., okay, were, were collecting information on 10 crime categories, 
right? Okay. Now, the highest UCR rate I could find, I know what the average is, but the highest UCR rate I could find was 2003. FBI said that there were more than 16,000 agencies. Remember those numbers come up again? We've got almost 18,000. 16,000 agencies representing 93%, that's close, of the population in 46 states in the District of Columbia compiling UCR data. Okay? You say, well, shouldn't it be 100? Now, it's never been 100. Okay? Why? Because, straight off the FBI site, national reporting is not mandated, but many states have instituted laws requiring law enforcement within those states to provide the data. So, if the state says the law enforcement agency has to send the data, they've got to send the data to at least the state, then the state can send it to the feds for, for compiling. Uh, if the state says the agency doesn't, then they don't have to. So like any other data set, it, you know, there's always holes. Nothing's 100% complete in data sets, but that was the highest amount, 93%. Um, so, okay, why did we do it? Think about this for a minute. Why are we collecting the data? Um, because the FBI, the ICP, and the National Sheriff's Association got together and said, you know, I think we, everybody should do this. And again, not everybody did. But it's kind of a, it's, it's not a federal mandate, right? But in many states, including mine, it, it, it is a state mandate. You will send this to the state if you would like to keep your, <laughs> your accreditation as a law enforcement agency. Okay, so they do. But keep in mind, that's 10 categories of data since 19, well, 9, 1930. The 10th was added in 1979. So, 10. Fast forward, 1988, FBI came up with something called NIBRS, National Incident-Based Reporting System. Yes, I know a lot of my agencies right now are listening going, NIBRS was 1988? Yes, NIBRS was 1988. NIBRS is a completely different ballgame, folks. It's like UCR. As a matter of fact, we'll soon be called UCR because it still is the Uniform Crime Report. But NIBRS, National Incident-Based Reporting System, actually captures 57 data elements on six types of data segments, administrative, offense, victim, property, offender, and arrestee. Why? Because the data, the overall numbers of how many burglaries did you have? How many assaults did you have, right? It didn't give the full story. So NIBRS is a, is a significant expansion of data elements that shall or will be collected. The actual kickoff date for NIBRS is January 1st, 2021. However, uh, been around long enough that I used to get these letters from uh, the FBI that NIBRS was going to kick off in January, started getting those letters like in 2009. So nonetheless, there are many agencies going to this. There are a lot more data points, not 10, Let's do that again. There are 57 elements, okay? Um, in that, it adds biased-motivated bias motivated offenses, right? Hate crimes. Uh, it expands to gang activity. It expands to law enforcement officers killed and assaulted. Um, and there's a new one on cargo theft. So now, yes, many states, just like UCR, have said, we're going to follow this. Now, they don't call it NIBRS because that's national incident-based. They call it 
like Kybers, Colorado, you know, whatever. They, they, they use their state moniker. But it's the same data, and it goes into it. Now, on both of these, are there levels of compliance? Sure. Like, again, the data is only as good as the data. But nonetheless, the data is sent in. You say, well, then, if the data is only as good as the data, DJ, they're hiding something. That's it. Yeah, they're hiding something. Uh, if, if I go to this site you're about to read to me, I'm not going to get everything because you just said it's just partial. No. What I said was it's partial to the feds. Okay? Because there's a there's a minimum and, you know, please give us this, but we'd like you to give us this and that kind of deal. And the thing is, this takes a lot of time and effort to compile. I mean, UCR took some time to get used to. NIBRS, again, like completely different ball game. I mean, we're talking like uh, backyard wiffle ball as compared to the World Series. Totally different. It's going to take some time to get all of that understood. And frankly, for CAD and RMS systems to completely be compliant with the new parameters under NIBRS. But we'll get there. In the meantime, get in your car or your bicycle or whatever you got. And get on over to the police department or sheriff's department and do an open records request for whatever you want. Okay? Again, if some things they can't give you because of the parameters I talked about earlier, then you won't get that. But for the most part, there you go. And by the way, most agencies do an annual report that you can ask for that gives you numbers, crime rates. <laughs> what I'm getting at, folks, is the data is available. It's never been hidden, per se. Okay? By the way, the website, and I don't speak about websites, but this is a government website, so it's fine. It's called ucrdatatool.gov. ucrdatatool.gov. Really cool. Go in there, put in your city, well, put in your state, put in your city, put in the type of data you want, and be careful because here it comes. <laughs> Sometimes it's a lot. So that's the facts on policing data. I mean, there, I could go into more and the finites, but the point is, why do we keep it? Because we're required to keep it. How long do we keep it? Well, that's up to state law on any type of mandatory purge of records. Do we want to keep it? Not all of it. I mean, if it's, if it's investigatively worthy, sure, arrest records and, and, and obviously DNA. If you take DNA... And, and it didn't come back to anybody, you don't just want to throw it away because <clears throat> it, it stays in the database and it might very well come back to somebody who is arrested five years down the road. I mean, a lot of cases have been solved that way. But we don't want to keep any more data than we need. Why? In the old days with the boxes, you had to keep buying like outbuildings. <laughs> <laughs> secure places to hold this data and, and alarms and locks and, and, and oh my goodness in the digital world, it's many times more expensive because now you've got to have servers that hold the data and the security for the servers has to be at this particular level and, and who's going to admin those. And oh my goodness, we're, we have more data now because now data includes pictures and videos and it's like lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, it's very expensive. It's very expensive. And by the way, nobody from the feds comes down and showers police departments with data to, for storage fees. You can apply for grants, okay, but those end. 
you got a year grant for a video system. But nobody paid to tell you was, well, after that, you have to pay for the storage of this thing. I mean, it, it can be expensive. Is it necessary? Yes. Am I downing those systems? Absolutely not. They're a whole lot better than paper boxes. But what I'm getting at is agencies don't want to hold any more data than is necessary because if they held everything, there you go. So that's why we have purge schedules, right? Okay. Do we really need um, the report that we originally took uh, that Timmy's bicycle was lost, uh, but Timmy found his bicycle in the backyard because his brother had moved it, but we'd already written the report. Do we really need to keep that for 15 years? No, we're good. I mean, it's just whatever. We, we, can, we can purge that record. And there's a purge schedule that is, you know, depending on state, there's some, a little bit of difference in there. Some records are kept forever, homicides, things like that. Uh, but many of them can be purged on a schedule. And that purge schedule is, is continual. Why do we have a purge schedule? Again, we don't want to manage it all. Okay? So let's, let's switch then. I thought to myself, and I, I don't mean this to be a, a, you know, a fight. I don't. I, I just want to give some data. I, I don't, honestly, I looked. I don't have the amount of data that, that police records hold. But I can tell you it's in the hundreds of millions right? From 1980 on, right? Because it, you could just basically say for every call for service, there is some type of record. Okay. So if you've got like a, a large agency over in California, right? Uh, you know, that, that big city in California about the angels. If, if you have that city that's averaging tens of thousands of calls for service a day, then there's a record of some type for every single one of those. Maybe not a written report because it wasn't a crime, but there is some type of record, you know, that we went to that at that time every single day. So there's a vast amount of data. The thing is, though, keep in mind on the purge schedule, a lot of that is leaving every day as well because it came up to its purge limitation. But then I thought to myself, why, why would everybody be so fired up about police data? I mean, after all, the vast majority of that is calls for service. Reports generated because the citizens called us. Do they not want us to hold that? Surely they do. I, 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 that, that, mm, just doesn't make any sense. And then I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Social media. Wonder, wonder what kind of data they hold. Keep in mind, we, law enforcement isn't selling this data. Law enforcement isn't making any money off of data, right? I mean, we're just, we're holding it. We're protecting it. It's, it's evidence. So I found an article that said in January 1st, 2020, the largest social networking site on the planet generates four petabytes if you don't know what a petabyte is, I get in there in a minute. Four petabytes of data, personal data per day. By the way, it's a hundred million gigabytes. Yeah. As of January 2020, their server was estimated to hold 300 petabytes. That math did not work out for me in my head. So I said, okay, wait a minute. And I'm going to do this live. Hold on, make a little noise here. Yep, should have grabbed it earlier. Okay, 
I'm going to do this straight out. So let's get out the calculator, kids, here. Okay, so that's four petabytes a day. Uh-huh, and I'm recording this on July 2nd, okay, because uh, the 4th is coming up, and I'm off for a while, so I wanted to get this in the can. So uh, July 2nd, uh, so uh, that means uh, since January 1, that's 183 days since the article came out. Uh-huh, so that means, after some quick math, that they have added since the article came out to today, 732 additional petabytes. That's 183 million gig of data. And this, uh, this company's adding 500 million users a day. I am not attacking social media. That's not an attack. That article came from their statements. Okay? And again, not an attack. Social media, fine. But I want to Level the playing field here, okay? The storage, network, equipment, and data centers to house that data cost that company $606 million in 2011. 600, in 2011. But now keep in mind, in just the last 183 days, we added another 732 additional petabytes. The data is rolling in. Constantly, right? Yes, I've seen articles. I've read articles. You can Google articles about social media getting in trouble uh, because they 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 uh, they held this data and well, we weren't that clear about it, and or, or we sold that. Oh, sorry, we weren't that clear about it. And but but this article came out after those reports of, and I'm I'm air quoting wrongdoing or alleged wrongdoing, right? Yet they're still adding 500 million users a day. And that's just one. I mean, we're talking about the whole infrastructure of social media. Social media is on fire. Everybody's on social media. I don't particularly use social media other than my LinkedIn and my, my, my Twitter for this podcast. Um, but nonetheless, it's on fire. What's confused me so much is how come everybody's coming out all fired up about the police and data, which we control which 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 we keep secure which again when i say that data is open to you like you're not going to get victims names you get that report and that victim name is going to be redacted off that report okay you're not going to get um complaints many times because they might be and they don't want to be known so you're going to get that redacted off the report but but the report is available if you follow me so $606 million in just 2011, just to hold all of that data with all of these people putting it in here, I got to ask you, I've been always blown away on this, but, but downloading a social media app and using it is free. I had a friend of mine, he might be listening to this, he has a podcast too, he's great at it, um, and he, he said all the time, listen, if the app is free, then you are the product. He's not wrong. Because <laughs> how can you pay for all of that? And it's free to use. Well, income data brokers. Data brokers. None of this is illegal. Why? Because they've gotten in trouble in the past, but they changed their user agreements. And by the way, when they changed that user agreement, you knew it because when you logged in the next time, it popped up and said, our user agreement has changed. Would you like to accept it? Gave you the opportunity to read it. But let's be fair. None of you read it. You just said, okay. When you sign up today, 
there's an agreement. Let's be honest. You don't read it. You just say, okay. Guess what you're agreeing to? You're agreeing to data brokers. Data brokers. There are 4,000 data brokers worldwide. They hold data on 500 million consumers. Okay? 1,400 companies. I'm not throwing them under the bus. You can Google it. 1,400 companies admittedly sell their data from the store loyalty cards to data brokers to then sell to other people. Data brokers buy data from anybody who will sell it to them and then sell it to other people. They aggregate it and they sell it. Okay? How much is this worth? It's worth $200 billion a year. Wow. I think I'm going to become a data broker. I only need like a billion of that. I'll be good. No, that it's a lucrative, lucrative business. There is absolutely nothing illegal about it because you can actually opt out of being in these data brokerages. Okay. And again, I'll let you Google that. Plenty of sites to tell you how to go in there and do that. But only about 43% as a warning allow you to opt out for free. Well, by goodness, they need to let me opt out for free. It's my data. It is your data. However, when you signed up for the store loyalty card and when you signed up for the social media account, you gave permission for this to be done. So technically, it's not your data anymore. Kind of is, kind of is not. So it, it, it's a slippery slope, folks. Now, to be clear, there are some companies that sell aggregated data for law enforcement search. Okay? Uh, but most of that is like uh, vehicle information. I mean, we don't particularly care where you, where you buy your, you know, your groceries. Sorry, don't. Uh, but, you know, vehicle information and, 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 and information on maybe holdings, Right? Of, uh, of, of, I remember I used a search like this once on an organized crime ring and, and found that they were actually broader than we thought because they had holdings all over the United States. And again, completely legal. It's an investigative tool. Um, that was open source data that was aggregated and sold to law enforcement. So law enforcement does use a couple of these. It's not the brokers. It's the companies that buy the data from the brokers, a couple of them, for investigation. However, it is highly regulated. Every single search that law enforcement does with one of these companies has a log of who did it, why they did it. You have to, you have to actually put in a purpose code, uh, what you were doing it for, case number. I mean, playing around on this is not going to happen. However, there are no such requirements for any other company buying and doing what they will. For instance, you ever, you ever I don't know, been shopping for something? online and you didn't really find what you wanted or maybe you did but you hadn't made up your mind but now you're going to switch over to facebook and lo and behold an ad for what you were just looking for is on there now what a coinky dink isn't that it's not a coincidence okay your personal data is being shared like water running out of a faucet and you don't know who has it you don't know. You don't know who's bought it. It's for sale <laughs> to many people. 
What's amazing to me is you can find articles with people saying the same thing I am, going like, oh, wait a minute, we need some awareness on this, right? And and there are states who are starting to regulate what can be shared, what can be brokered, what can be that kind of deal, kind of slow. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is if, if people aren't really that worried about handing over locationing data, um, your, uh, your address book data, your surf history data, uh, all of that to social media and apps and, 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 and websites. And, you know, this, this website requires cookies. Would you like to enable? Yeah. That's a no ghostwriter, right? But, but if you don't have a problem doing that, and maybe it's education on understanding what's happening with it, but if there's no problem with a company using you, selling you, to make money off of you, and again, totally legal, companies make their money. That, that's how this works. And I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I'm saying if, if, if there's no problem with that, then somebody please help me as to why there's a problem with police collecting the data that we are required many times, mandated many times, or under evidentiary reasons for a court case many times, required to hold. Hmm. So I guess I got to ask you this. So, big data. What's a big deal? And now, some stupid criminals. I found some good ones for you today. I'm going to go over to Germany first. I don't know if this one, this, this one might not, this is just sad, but nonetheless. Police in Germany said they had an easy time tracking down a petty thief. Batusen, I'm saying that wrong, and by the way, I have listeners in Germany. Please hit me up and tell me how to say that. I sure I am saying that wrong. Uh, police said a 29-year-old suspect ran off when the $5.65 worth of goods he was trying to steal triggered an alarm at a supermarket checkout. That's not funny, DJ. That's not stupid. It is stupid when he left his eight-year-old son standing at the checkout counter. That's just sad and completely stupid. However, you got a little angst right now for the dad, like, how dare you just leave your eight-year-old son? You just Well, a, a, a little help for you, maybe. As he was running out the door, he got across the street, got down the road a little bit. Uh, he tripped, fell, and knocked himself out in the middle of the street. Spent the rest of the day in the hospital. I'm not being happy off of anybody's pain and misery, but I am just saying that mm, I'm okay with that one. All right, let's go to Nashville. Love Nashville. So this guy, Robert Goddard, 49, accused of smashing a glass door and breaking into a Nashville area home on January 29th, stealing a TV and a gun. Gun? Yeah, it's Nashville. According to records filed in the Davidson County Court, he also stole a black Gibson Les Paul Custom. I want to know what house this was. Like, it could have been, like, straight out. In other words, I tinker with a guitar, right? That's an expensive guitar. Uh, they found out he later sold that for 40 bucks. There should be an extra crime for that. Uh, but prosecutors say Goddard left something behind that allowed authorities to solve the case. 
a notebook. Yeah, a notebook that listed multiple addresses, including one for a few home, um, a home rather, a few miles away that had been burglarized the same day. You say, okay, well, notebook, I must have got uh, fingerprints off of it. Oh, no, 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 no. See, apparently his notebook he normally used for his, um, his genius work here was full. So he borrowed his daughter's journal from school and wrote his notes in it. And the daughter's journal from school included her name and address. <sighs> Daniel, I, I'm going to get this one wrong too. It's in Florida. Uh, let's call him Daniel, because I can't say his last name, although I've tried very hard. Daniel uh, was apparently so stressed out during a police chase last week that he stopped at a stranger's house to play with her cats. Did I mention this was Florida? My Florida crime analyst friends that listen to this routinely, what's up? Anyway, the 21-year-old allegedly stole $15,000 cash from a friend Which, which leads us to believe that a friend he knew had $15,000 in cash at any given time. Anyway, uh, police later saw him hit a car at an intersection after he stole the money while driving a stolen Lexus from someone else. This guy's racking it up. Police gave chase when he sped off and uh, hit the highway to Boca Raton. Yeah, because that's where you go. You got fifteen grand cash and a stolen Lexus and going to Boca. He eventually ended up on a dead-end road that's where police say he promptly crashed into a fire hydrant and hit an officer's car, not once, but twice. However, after he did that, he got the Lexus stuck in the mud. Imagine that. The Lexus was not able to get out of thick mud. After breaking away from cops on foot, he ended up at a lady's back door. Now this, if you don't think this is weird, this is where it goes completely weird. He ended up at a lady's back door, claiming to be a thirsty landscaper knocked on her back door, said, I am a thirsty landscaper, <laughs> and he asked for water. She obliged and let him in the house. What? He then sprawled on her living room floor and played with her cats. The lady was quoted saying it was odd, very odd. Yeah, which part, ma'am? The part where a sweaty guy breathing really hard knocks on your back door, says he needs a drink and you let him in? Or what? Anyway, she said he was stroking my cat. It almost looked like he was either on drugs or was mentally handicapped. And you let him in. <sighs> anyway, he eventually fled as the cops closed in, ending up in a nearby canal where police fished him out of the water. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, however, as they fished him out, he absolutely claimed he stole the money for a good reason, and it was to pay his mom back. He didn't say back for what. Mm. All right, the last one for today, which is, it's, it's, I, mm, I love it. Customs and Border Protection officers spotted Bernard Charles walking awkwardly in New York's JFK airport on April 1st. I don't normally leave dates in, but I had to. Walking awkwardly on April Fool's Day. Come on, it's like I wrote that. I didn't, by the way. Uh, well, they patted him down and found an object in his groin area. Uh-huh. Ended up being two clear packages holding, get ready for this, 1.79 pounds of heroin. 1.79 pounds. Whew. 
He, he was a, a native of uh, Trinidad, Tobago, citizen of there. Uh, he was initially detained when he disembarked the Caribbean Airlines flight and appeared, quote, visibly nervous, avoiding eye contact. Customs officers were examining his suitcase and thought just something's still wrong, so they brought him back into the private search room. Yeah, that's never good. And that's when they noticed uh, his odd gait and patted him down. The drugs he was carrying were worth more than 70000 on the street. Uh, he's not going back to Trinidad and instead faces 10 years in prison for drug smuggling. You know, as we go along this journey together, I may some say some things you don't agree with, or maybe you do agree with me, and even have a topic. By the way... Quite a few of these last topics have been from you, the listener. I would like to thank you, but I would also like to say, really? You you know, that's a lot of research. I'm glad to do it. Uh, Just hit me up. Maybe you have a funny police story. I encourage you to email me at offthebeat at MotorolaSolutions.com. Give me your thoughts and ideas. Check out my Twitter page, DJ underscore offthebeat. And until next time, stay diligent, stay educated, and stay safe.